0: so this morning, the B-series message begins, and the first message is called The Work of the Lord. Say that with me. The Work of the Lord. Our key verse in 1 Thessalonians, a five-chapter letter written by Paul to a group of Christians in what we would call today Northern Greece, or Macedonia at the time, says this. Read it out loud with me. One verse. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. Get that second slide one more time. Here we go. Let's say it. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. Now, If I subtitled this series, it would be this. Culture, the Christian, and the Day of the Lord. We have culture around us, which comes from the Genesis 1 cultus. We get the word agriculture, horticulture. Cultus literally means to worship. So it means that everything in life should be a culture that has been built to glorify God. The negative idea is a cult. That is something that is gone off on a tangent. But don't let that word scare you. Cultus literally simply means to worship. And our focus is not a personality, it's not an aberrant idea, it's not a heresy, but it's on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Culture, the Christian, and the day of the Lord. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that we're to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is a culture all around us, saints, that is gradually becoming more and more and more secularized. It is gradually becoming more secularly humanistic, okay, okay? Now, when we recognize that, we we remember the phrase that as believers, we're to be in the world, but what? Not of it. That means that we participate, that in the middle of the darkness, we shine our lights. In the middle of the corruption, we spread our salt. In the middle of this world, we demonstrate the love of God in the midst of the division and the hatred and the political polarization and the racial unrest. We have to be a demonstration of the opposite. We have to show the world what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. In the King James, in the Greek, it doesn't say love one for another. It says love one to another. It's an action. It's a verb. It's demonstrated. It's not just in word, but it's in deed. Somebody say amen. Okay? So we must demonstrate the life of Christ. We do this in recognition of the day of the Lord. That is, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we would call his second advent. His first advent was in a manger in Bethlehem. His second advent will be coming so that every eye shall see him and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it, Isaiah 40 says. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, we have a 10 verse chapter, I'm going to be quick this morning. We have a 10-verse chapter, but these two verses are at the heart of those 10 verses in chapter 1. And they would give us the central idea of 1 Thessalonians 1 in be ready in the work of the Lord. That's your cue to put it up, guys, back there. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 and 6. Let's look. For when we brought you the good news. Everybody say the gospel. That's the word gospel right there, euangelion, or evangelize. You get that idea for when we brought you the good news it was not only with words but also with what that's that idea of demonstration paul said it in 1 corinthians chapter 2 i did not come you come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom but i came to you in, with the demonstration of the spirit capital s the holy spirit and power everybody say power, power. when the gospel is preached if it's preached From a vessel that is alive with the Holy Spirit, it will come in power. It will transform the hearer. It will change your life. When we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power for the... Everybody say it. Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Verse 6. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Now, verse 6. So you received the message with joy. Everybody say joy. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. We're talking persecution. In this way, you, everybody say imitated. You imitated both us and the Lord. Our one thing this morning. This is the idea that wraps the whole thing up, ties it in a bow, and sends you home with it. This is the one thing. Say it. The word will work if you work the word. The word will work if you work the word. You can sit here this morning and you can hear the word and not make any application in your personal life and it can roll off you like water on a duck's back. But if you will make the decision to do what the Thessalonians did to receive the word, it's a posture. Father, I'm open to you. I receive this word. Let it work in my life. Let the word work in me mightily, as Paul wrote to the Colossians. The Word will work if you work the Word. Say it to your neighbor right now. The Word will work if you work the Word. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Spirit of God, help us today. We're excited to be here. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life. Thank you for breath and air and food and friends and fellowship. Thank you for this building. Thank you for... Thank you for electricity and thank you for a warm room. We just pray for the church around the world that's persecuted and suffering and struggling today. Lord, be with the saints of God. Lift them up, strengthen them, encourage them in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Point number one, the backstory. Now, I'm not going to take time to read this to you, but what is really cool about all of the Pauline letters, that's not a female, but Pauline is just an adjective form of Paul. It means that these letters were written by Paul. All of these letters find the history written in the book of Acts. Acts is kind of the, sort of the index that you read through of Paul's missionary journeys. And they're plural. So he goes on missionary journeys. And every time he goes, there's a church that is established. There is the work of the Lord that takes place because he's preaching the gospel, not merely with words, but in demonstration of power and of the spirit. And every time he does, because he's working the word, the word is working. Okay. So the good news, the gospel goes out, a church is birthed. And from that place of darkness, light begins to shine and influence for the gospel of the kingdom, for the rule of God begins to resonate out of those centers. Paul had a strategy, very interesting. Uh, As he began, he determined that he would go to all of the major primary large cities first. He would establish churches in those places. He would move first to the synagogues. He would reason with the Jews in those cities where there was, was reception from the Jewish people, that's because he wrote in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, for herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So we, we go in progression, we grow in our faith from one realm one degree one level of glory of faith in god to another as we continue to hear the gospel it is more than just fire insurance to save us from hell but it sets what's wrong right in our lives so that we can live a life that is in demonstration of the kingdom of god here right now somebody say amen, amen. all right the backstory story comes in acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 15 prior to that A vision in Paul's life takes place. He's in prayer, and he sees the heavens open up, and he sees a vision, and a man from Macedonia appears to him and says, come to us. Come to Macedonia. It's what's referred to as the Macedonian call. Now, we don't refer to a map as Macedonia today, so this would be northern Greece. There is a church that is born in Thessalonica, and As they move toward Macedonia, they first go to Philippi, and beside the river, Paul and Silas and Timothy are preaching the gospel, and a businesswoman, a wealthy woman, a dealer of purple, which is an extravagant, very fine type of cloth that she dealt in, a business lady, and so Paul is preaching, and Lydia gets saved, she brings Paul and Silas and Timothy back to her house and she begins to share the gospel in her network of influence. How many of you know that's the most powerful way that the kingdom is advanced? God changes your life, then you let that begin to spread out in the lives of the people who know you. I was sitting with Brad Johnson yesterday morning and and Pastor Jeremy for a few moments at the uh, West Memphis Mayor's first annual prayer breakfast and was with a friend of mine, Scott Wilhite. By the way, this Tuesday's the vote day. He's the the Christian godly man you want to vote in position 12 for the circuit judge. And so Scott had come down, and I was telling Scott a little bit about Brad and how God had transformed Brad's life and how that I was sure that there was a time when some of his friends around him were basically saying, well, let's just watch him a little bit. I bet you this doesn't last. Because Brad got delivered from about every kind of thing you can imagine on the streets in terms of drugs and dealing and uh, every, everything that, that we can talk about. His testimony, is he, he can tell it better than I can. How many of you know you've got a story that nobody else can tell but you? Brad's got a story. And so it's been seven years now. Everybody say seven years. How many of you know it's lasted? Come on, give God some praise. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit in Brad's life, other people are being transformed by the gospel that's going out of his life. Every Friday night, they have a transformed group up here for folk that are wrestling with addictions and patterns of behavior they can't break. And it's growing. And every time I turn around, Brad said, we had another one that confessed Jesus and I got to go help them get in the word. I love that. I love that. Where, where the Word of God and the life of God is happening, how many of you know lives are being changed? Hallelujah. Praise God. And so I want you to... They're going to put up a map here real quick for you, and I want you to see this. The church is born in Thessalonica, and what probably looks familiar to you is the boot of Italy right there. Now, if you go off the screen, on, on the south side is where Rome is, just up about probably eight inches from there. But over to the right if this were labeled according to today's nation names, okay, it wasn't until the 1500s, folks, where we started to see nationalism rise in, uh, around the world. And people groups who shared the same history, the same language, and the same culture started banding together. There was a time when uh, Italy was broken into about six provinces and every one of them had a king. France, the same way. Britain, the same way. Spain the same way. And so all of a sudden, everybody who shared the same language, the same history, the same culture, they joined together and they began to be identified as nations of Spain and France and Italy. What you're looking at here with Macedonia and Achaia is what we call Greece today. Everybody say Greece, okay? The the, the nation, not the movie, not what you cook your fish with, okay? (laughs) Greece. So Macedonia and Achaia, you'll see down there below Achaia, Corinth. So the two letters that were written to Corinth were a church in that city that grew to be over 100,000 people. When you you look up to Berea, that's the the, the past, that's the place where Paul said, be like the faithful Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. So Paul has a vision, and a man from Macedonia says, come, come, and, and bring the gospel to us. And first of all, they go up to Philippi. Do you see the most northern city up there? The Philippian letter Paul writes, and he writes it from the jail. If you remember, they got put in jail, and Paul and Silas and Timothy are singing praises to God, and about midnight, there's an earthquake, and the jail begins to shake, and Acts 16 is a fun chapter that I love to preach because we teach it this way. God got up off his throne because he was listening to Paul and Silas singing praises, and God God got to clapping his hands and got to stomping his foot and because he did, the whole earth shook and quaked and Paul and Silas got set free from jail and the jailer got saved in his household. How I mean, you know, everywhere you go, even if you're suffering, God can use you to advance the gospel. And so Paul basically said, Timothy, come on, Tim, I want you to stay for me. Let's get this church developed in Philippi. Paul and Silas are going to go on down to Thessalonica. And if you'll see it just south if you were to visit today, they would call it Thessaloniki, okay? And there, it is one of the cities that we see biblically that is still named the same. If you go over to the right, you'll look, or look down to the bottom, you see Athens. Look over to the right from Athens, you see Ephesus, that's the Ephesian church. Now, in the Bible, we called that section on the right Asia Minor. Today, that's called Turkey. Everybody say Turkey, okay? So, everything changed when the... Muslims moved in, Constantinople, which was the eastern capital of the church, in the Orthodox version of the church, Rome and the Roman Catholic Church, those were the two capitals of Christianity. When the Islamic move came into Turkey and moved westward, Constantinople became Istanbul, okay? So all of those churches were taken over, the crosses were pulled down, and a moon was put on top, and it became a mosque, okay? Okay? So Troas, Ephesus, Smyrna, all of those seven churches of the book of Revelation are right there in that Asia Minor area, okay? Abby told me on this trip, she said, Dad, next time we're going to go to Greece. I said, baby, I'm going to take a seven-city tour of the book of Revelation if we do that. So I said, come on, baby. So I'm excited about that. So that gives you a little bit, folk, these stories in the Bible are not just fairy tales. They're grounded in history. They're they're grounded in geography. They're grounded in location. These testimonies are real lives who have been transformed by the power of the gospel of God. Are you getting anything out of this? All right. So you've seen the map. Paul wrote these letters for a reason because some confusion had come into this young church in Thessalonica. And they, someone had told them that the day of the Lord had already come, that Christ had already appeared and it was all over with and done. And Paul was correcting the idea that the day of the Lord was behind them and readjusting them to the future to say, no, it is yet to take place. So First and Second Thessalonians are important about recognizing the importance of the coming of the Lord. Say this with me, the word will work if you work the word tell one of the person right now, say the word will work if you work the word. Point number one, I want to go real quickly. Number one, God's choice. God's choice. God has a choice. Some don't like this idea, but God chose you. Ephesians one says he chose you before the foundation of the world. First Thessalonians one, one through four. The, the word will speak for itself. So we, this is an expositional series, which means we're going to go verse by verse through the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. I've done most of the books of the New Testament over my 30 years of ministry. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are a couple of that I haven't gotten yet, so I'm excited to be able to do that. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace, that's God's active agent of change, and peace, which is the result of the work of God. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Peace is what happens when you just receive it. How many of you are thankful for peace? All right, verse two, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. A real leader is concerned about the people that he or she leads. We're we're in prayer for them. Verse 3, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of you. Look at three things here. If you have a Bible you underline, if you have notes that you're taking, we have, he says, we always think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope. Verse 4, and we're finished with this section. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has, past tense, everybody say has, has chosen you to be his own people. Three quick sub points. Number one. The three cardinal virtues of the life of Christ in us are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, there abides these three, faith, if you know it, say it with me, hope, and and the greatest of these is love. Okay. So this is Paul's way of reiterating that same message of the gospel to the Thessalonian believers. Faithful in your work, loving in your deeds, and enduring in your hope. This is what I want you to see. These concepts of faith, hope, and love are not just Christian abstracts. It's not just some amorphous idea that we talk about our faith and our hope and our love. Faith has to be demonstrated by actions. James says faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. Ain't nothing happening. Faith must be demonstrated. Works don't save me. Faith is the root of my tree. Works are the fruit growing on the limbs of my tree. Faith is the root that is the source of life in my life, the source of God in my life. Uh, Works are the demonstration. The roots and the fruits. Are you getting that? Okay, so faith must be demonstrated by work, faithful work. The work of the gospel, your loving deeds, love is a verb must love must be demonstrated. love is not just a nice idea it 's it's, it's not a it 's not a hippie concept where we where we get high on on mushrooms or, or dope or whatever or or smoking a little bit of uh, what you know i, 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 I 'm traveling into the weeds now i 've got to come back in, uh, but you know it 's how folk just sort of just make it kind of a real. Sweet little ethereal idea. Love is real. Love is, for, love is God. God is love. Okay? And so when we walk in His Spirit, then we are demonstrating His very nature. Loving deeds. Love has to be a verb. Love has to be an action. Somebody say amen. And then finally, enduring hope. King James says you are patient in your hope. Hope waits. Hope sees something in the future in front of it, and it lasts. It doesn't quit. Everybody say, trust God. Work hard, never quit. That's the ethos of my family for generations. My grandparents taught me that because their parents taught them that. Trust God, work hard, never quit. And so as, as we work faithfully, as we share our deeds lovingly, as we endure in our hope in all of these things, he says that God loves us and he has chosen us. God's love is obvious. It is the message of the gospel. Jesus died for me. He died for me. For me to do a work in me that he might do a work through me to the nations. That's the gospel right there. He chose me. Some folk don't like this, but folk, it's all over the Bible. Let me just tell you, God chose the nation of Israel out of all the other nations. Jesus chose his disciples. He didn't just throw out a blanket and go, Come on, anybody who wants to be the disciples, just come on in here. You know, he specifically handpicked 12. And it's amazing to me how folk get upset over the idea that Jesus would have a choice in who his bride is. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? So we're talking about God's election. God has a desire, and He set his, sets His desire in you. And because of that, you have a drawing and something that, that is magnetic that pulls you. The Scripture says that if we'll be faithful to lift up the cross of Christ, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto me. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. The word will work if you work the word. Point number two. Now, a lot has happened today in just trying to set the foundation, give you geography, give you some basic principles. So you're wondering, am I going to be able to get through all this? Yes, we are. Point number two. Look at your neighbor say, he's going to do it. Number two. The first one was God's choice. The second point is the believer's example. The example means that there's a life that's being lived. It's not just an ethereal principle. It's not just an abstract, but it's something that's been demonstrated. Look at this. For when we brought you the good news, everybody say gospel, it was not only with words, but also with power, for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Now let me just stop right here and say this. Listen, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He is the knower, and he knows when someone says something that's not right, and you can just almost like a bad taste in your mouth. Mm, yeah. How many of you have ever sucked on a lemon? Now, some of you might be just weird and you might love that, but it just causes my whole mouth to just constrict, pucker up, okay? And so something that is not truth, if you'll learn to pay attention to your gut down here, the scripture says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. When we talk about the heart of God or the heart inside you as an individual, we're not talking about the blood pump up here in the middle of your chest. We're talking about the core or the central portion of you, your spirit, your human spirit that is made in the image of God. And it has the ability to hear something and go, nah, nah, wrong. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, it won't be that obvious, but you'll just go, eh, I "Just, I don't know what I think about that. I'm going to have to put that on the shelf. First John 4 says, try every spirit and see if they're of God. Okay, just because somebody has a ministry and puts out a podcast and sends out a newsletter doesn't mean that they're teaching truth. Amen. You need to be discerning. You need to check the word of God. I don't, you need to check the word against what I say, okay? Thank you for your support here, but the best thing you can do is be a, grow up and be a mature believer and go to the word first. <laughs> then when you hear, that's it. Let's give the Holy Spirit clap. It's not about me, not about you. It's about him. And as we recognize he is the leader, he is the teacher, he is the truth teller. We've got the knower on the inside of us. First John 2 says you have an unction of the Holy One and you know all things. Now I don't know about you, but that whole lot of stuff I don't know. But the meaning is I've got something inside of me that already knows all of it. And if I can learn to access that. I can learn to listen to the voice of the one, the teacher, the Holy Spirit, the one who knows all things. I already know everything. I just don't know that I know it yet. I don't, but it's down inside me. Are you hearing me this morning? Look at this. Well, the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we re- were with you. I don't care how flashy or flowery somebody's words are, if their life doesn't match their lip, bless them and leave them alone. Okay? I'm moving on. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Folk, This can roll off of you. I said it earlier in the service like water on a duck's back. You have to have a posture of reception. Are you you receiving not just from me, but from the voice within the voice, from the Holy Spirit that's taking the word, making application in your life? Receive it with joy. Just, Father, I receive it. Holy Spirit, do the work in me. How many of you know when you're hungry for God, the Bible says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what? filled. Everybody say filled. All right. When you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Now that's important. You have to receive the word as it is, the word of God. It's not just my ideas. There, there are places that you can go. There are plenty of churches and we're, we're not saying that we're better than they are, but it's really basically kind of a little 18-minute sermonette for Christianettes and it's more pop psychology than it is the word. And you know what? If that's where you are, praise God. But if you really are a Christian, there'll come a time where that won't feed you. There'll come a time where you're hungry for something else. I have a grandson who's just, he's already getting muscles. He is just a handsome kid, just growing. I mean, just, he just, he's going to be a champion. And, and he's already, he's not satisfied with milk. He's like, every day, Holly sends me pictures of, of a he, oh man he sure loves that pineapple, or he 's loving this squash, or not crazy about the green beans or, or you know these, these different things and, and I believe that when we have an appetite when we are hungry for the things of God, there comes a time where what used to feed you will not sustain you any longer. There comes a time when you grow in God where you need somebody to preach the Word to you. You need the meat of the Word of God. Every time we gather, I try to bring three things. The milk of the Word for the little ones, the bread of the Word for those that are growing, and the meat of those that are mature in the Lord. You put it all together. you got a couple slices of bread and a piece of meat and a glass of milk, and you've got a whole meal. we got a br- beverage and we've got bread. we got the meat in due season. Somebody say amen. All right, verse 7. Are you getting anything out of this? So they imitated the leaders. Now, let me finish this section of reading. It says, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. That's Greece, okay? And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. I mean, you know, when you live the life and it lasts, it's going to affect way more people than you ever thought it would affect. People, listen to me. What God is going to do in the next 10 years in the Delta in this church is going to blow people's minds. Not because of me. Not because of you. We're going to participate. I'm a participant just like you are. But because the Holy Spirit is here and lives are being changed and the Word is working because we are working the Word. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Ringing out. He says, because your faith in God, we don't need to tell them about it. Their attitude and their action towards four things. The Word. When you hear the Word preached... Do you receive it as the word of God, which it is? Leadership. Let me tell you something. If, if you're a guest today and you're part of a church where you don't have respect for the leadership, then I encourage you to get in one where you do. Let me just say this from the outset. We're not perfect. We are, we are, we are obstinate about telling you that. We're still in process. Everybody here is growing. Uh, when, when we try to present a, an, an attitude of perfectionism, it ends up making everybody... Take their personal sin and hide it in a closet and folk don't get delivered. Everybody in the room's got a struggle. And let me raise my hand. I'm gonna tell you right now. Everybody's still in process. Come on, somebody. But when we talk about leaders that have integrity, it's basically saying that we have a whole heart toward God. When we're wrong, we'll acknowledge it. When 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 we recognize we need to be adjusted, we will quickly receive it and go, yes, come on. My heart is for Jesus, my heart is for the kingdom. Okay, I need, to, I need to grow in that area. I need to change in this way. I could have done this a different way. You want to follow a leader. I believe Craig Rochelle says it this way. He said, most people would rather follow a leader. Help me, Jeremy. You know what he says? It just left me. I had the, I had the quote. Um, forgive me. I'll set it up next Sunday. Apologize about that. Leaders, you want to be able to follow and imitate their lives. The scripture says... First of all, let me just tell you, I don't get it when I hear preachers stand up and say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Because that's not biblical. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And if you don't have somebody that you feel like, though they're not perfect, they have a whole heart toward God and they're growing, they're correctable, they're teachable, they're changeable, then find you somebody that does have that kind of spirit because that's important. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. They lasted when they went through persecution. Every one of these churches were built in cities where Jews had outrageous influence in the synagogues and influence over the culture. And when the gospel began to go forth, and Paul and the, the various helpers that he had, other apostles that declared that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Jewish people who didn't want to hear it rose up and persecuted them, and they stood in the face of severe persecution. The last thing was they made an investment. They gave their time, their talent, their treasure, their money. Listen, you, you can't be a part of a living vision and sit for years and never give anything. You can't be part of a living vision and never learn how to serve, to be on a serve team here at Victory. If, if you've gone three or four years as a part of Victory and you've never given anything in, the, in your tithing, in your offering, shame on you. Now, I know folk don't like to be should on. Do you hear what I said? Should? Folk don't like to be should on, but how many of you know there's some things that you should do as a growing Christian? You need to be a man or woman of prayer. Doesn't mean you have to do hours a day, but you need to be growing in your prayer life. You need to be a person in faith, dependent upon God, spending time in the Word. You need to learn to sow seeds of your time and your talent and your treasure. If you're, if you're sitting here and just soaking up and you're just a consumer and you're never producing, you're never, you're, that means you're a baby in diapers. Don't let anybody shout me down right now. It's fine to have a baby that poops in its diaper when it's eight months old, but when it's 18 years old, we need to grow up. Come on, somebody. Most of the time the church is concerned about going up and God wants to grow us up. Come on. Last point. Are you getting anything out of this? Here we go. The saint's expectation. Two verses and I'm finished. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome. Everybody say generous spirit. They're giving. They're givers in Thessalonica. Where the gospel really touches a life, people become free with their resources. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living God, the living and true God. Folks, that's life change. If you've confessed Christ and your life is the same, I challenge you. I, in Jesus' name, command you to go back on your face and get on your knees and cry out to God because if something hasn't changed, you haven't met him yet. Because you won't go away from him the same way you came to him. You will turn away from something. You will turn away from idols to serve the living and true God. You might not be bowing down in front of a piece of wood. But, folk, you can idolize all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be metal or stone or, or, or something of intrinsic value like that. You can idolize your boat or your wife or your house or your job. There are a lot of things we can make idols out of before God. We turn away from the dependency on that to serve the living and the true God. Somebody say amen. Amen. Last verse. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Here it is right here. The driving force behind faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope is this. The coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead... He is the one who has rescued us from the coming, from the terrors of the coming judgment. Now listen, I don't preach a whole lot on hell because frankly, it's not in the scripture nearly as much as fundamentalists in the South declare it to be. If if the word wrote as much about judgment and terror as, as Bible as, as these hellfire and brimstone guys do, then it would literally take up most of every chapter in the Bible. It's not there. It is there upon occasion. This is one of them. There is a judgment that is coming. For, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Record Greek word is the bema seat. Now, as a believer you're not going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ to determine whether or not you get to heaven because that got paid for at the cross and you've already put your trust in that. As a believer, you will not be judged as a sinner. You'll be judged as a saint. What have your works done to advance the rule of God or the kingdom of God? Your rewards will be determined at that judgment. Are you hearing me this morning? If you do not know Jesus, it is a terror-filled day for you, because you will be judged as a sinner, and based upon your deeds, do you have enough good ones to outweigh your bad ones? Nobody does. Nobody on the planet, because God says the standard is perfection. Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. Guess what? I'm not I need need help. I'm in a mess. I need a Savior. My Savior is perfect. His name is Jesus. He already ran the race, and he won the race because he didn't violate or break any rules. He is perfect. He did everything right. His, His character is impeccable. His integrity is fully intact. He never did anything wrong. Pilate said, this is a man in whom I find no guile. There is no fault in him. There is no sin. The scripture says, For he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took my place so I could take his place. He became my sin so I could become his righteousness. I'm looking for the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, who has rescued us from the coming judgment. Hallelujah! Jesus is coming again. I won't set dates. I'm not even interested in that kind of foolishness. Too many churches have put a black eye on the body of Christ. I have a whole folder of full-page ads that have been taken out in the USA Today in the 90s by Korean church saying Jesus will come back in August of 1992. Billboards were in Memphis just about, what, five years ago in May that Jesus would come back. There was a guy who wrote a book in 88 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 88. Then the next year he wrote another one. I guess it was the 89th reason. Oh, because last year's book was wrong. And what's hilarious is the guy literally was a rocket scientist. Edward, or Edgar Wissenault. And then got upset because the body of Christ called him a false prophet. You know what? When you made predictions like that in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 18, the scripture says that you were stoned. Are you all hearing me this morning? I'm not telling you Jesus coming back on this date. I'm telling you be ready if he comes this afternoon. I'm telling you be ready if he comes in the next breath. Some of you might not wake up in the morning and your coming of the Lord will be at that moment when you see him face to face. But there is a coming when he will come back and bring with him all the saints of the ages. The issue is not going to see granny granny's coming back with him when he comes. Is what the book of Jude says the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. Are you hearing me today? The beautiful thing about the book of books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is that every major doctrine in the Bible are found in these verses and so I'm excited about what we have ahead of us Sydney come on. I'm just a little bit over Sydney come on to the piano because I want to pray. I believe that God has called us to faithful works, to loving deeds, and to enduring hope. There's a hope that is before us. There's a hope that is the driving force behind the motivation that's kept me in the delta for over 30 years. There's a hope that I have that God could transform the lives of sinners and make the place of his feet glorious, is what Isaiah said. The place of his feet. The feet of the Lord are the people that are alive on the earth that today that are serving him. Well, guess what? I'm his, and my feet are on the ground. So, God, I want you to beautify the place of your feet. And I believe he does that by taking broken, dark, addicted, jacked up, messed up lives, and introducing them to Jesus. That's the gospel right there. He took my place. No, it's not because I'm special, because folk, I'm as messed up as anybody else. Not because you're special, it's because Jesus is special. Because God loves you, and he chose you before the foundation of the world. Heads bowed, eyes closed, as they bring the lights down, nobody's looking around. If you've never crossed the line of faith, if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, this is your opportunity, this is your moment, because We have a hope before us that God's Son from heaven is coming again, the one who rescued us from the coming judgment. Every one of us at some point in our lives will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you got an instant pass in. If you're not, I don't have time to describe the terror. 2 Corinthians chapter... Five, six, both tell us, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But if you know Jesus, it's peace and joy. That's your gift. Don't leave here in this service today without letting that change come into your life. And it's very simple. It's by acknowledging that. I need you, Jesus. We sang it this morning. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If that's you today and you sense the Spirit of God convicting your heart, take an inventory right now. Take an inventory. None of us has works that are faithful enough, deeds that are loving enough, or hope that is enduring enough apart from Jesus to save us. If any of you would like prayer this morning, nobody's looking around, heads are, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Slip up your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Anybody in the room? Yes, there's a hand. Anybody else? Yes, one on that side. Thank you. Anybody? All right, saints, I want everybody in this room, let's join our hearts with these who've lifted their hands and let's say these words. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So say this after me. Father, thank you for Jesus. I receive this word. Spoken by the Holy Spirit. Let it work in my life. I say these words, Jesus, I trust you. Save me. Change my heart. Forgive me my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life. Give me works that are faithful. Give me deeds that are loving. And give me a hope that endures. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said,